What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast. I'm Brian Horning. I'm here with your co-hosts, Reginald Andre, Ryan O'Hara, and Randy Bryan. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing great, yeah. man. How about yourself? <laughs> Not too bad. I can't complain, considering my circumstances. <clears throat> but uh, today we got a good show for you guys. We got a bunch of things uh, lined up to talk about. You know, to kind of break down what this stuff means in terms of how it affects your business, how it affects your life when it comes to, you know, cyber criminals and what's going on in the world out there. Because, you know, I, I, it, we're getting into a really weird time right now where the, you know, we're, we're on the cusp of what could potentially be. Um, a recession or some kind of downturn in the economy. And with that brings, you know, the psyche of people where they think they, they need to hold on to their cash and not spend as much money, you know, on things like cybersecurity. Um, and our hope is, is to use this show to highlight like why it's now time to double down on cybersecurity versus, you know, I'm not going to spend on cybersecurity. I had a call with, you know, uh, a company this week and, and they ended up not moving forward with us simply because of cost. Um, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, there'll probably be a good opportunity to talk about that, but it's a concern that I have uh, that businesses are going to start uh, skimping out on cybersecurity as we move into this downturn. Um, and you know, hopefully today we can paint a good picture as to why that might be a bad idea. So before we get into the content, Andre, what's the fee for the show? It is free 99. There is no charge. All we just ask is that you uh, share uh, share this to your, your, your coworkers. If you have a boss or, um, you know, HR department or someone who's in charge of IT, share this with them. If, if there's any uh, nuggets that you have. Let them know about it. And of course, uh, whatever platform you're using, uh, please subscribe. We do this every week. Every single week, even when we're in top secret locations. And I think we've all had COVID on the show at this mm -hmm. point. I was the last one holding out. But unfortunately, uh, I have something. Uh, I either have it or I have something very similar to it right now. But not going to stop us from bringing you the good stuff, right? So first one we got, boys, is... Macmillan Publishing, and I think a lot of people will be familiar with this name if they went to public school in the United States, because I remember seeing this company on all my textbooks and stuff. Um, looks like they're under a ransomware attack. So what's going on here? Well, it, it's speculation at this point, at least publicly. Doesn't look like Macmillan has has owned up to anything, but uh, there's some some chatter on Twitter from. Uh, employees uh, talking about how inconvenient uh, and disruptive the the event has been. So uh, I, I think this is, you know, we, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, how it seems like companies are getting more in line with the process, clearly talking to uh, uh, breach coaches, uh, lawyers, insurance companies uh, right away on the front end, as opposed to, you know, leaking it out and then having that, that process of, Oh well, yes, we we found an incident, but nothing was impacted. And then a week later, oh, only a few things were impacted. And then a week later, oh, a lot of stuff was impacted. Sorry, here's some credit monitoring. Um, so right. McMillan hasn't come back and said anything yet. So it's a little bit uh, scarce on details. Um, the other interesting thing about this one is the fact that the employees are are tweeting on that. Um, 
I, that's going to be interesting to see if we even if we even do uh, if there's any fallout for that. I mean, that's there's typically policies internally for businesses to uh, prevent that or uh, you know discourage that that type of thing without uh, having some sort of clearance from the company to talk about that stuff. So closing before the, the the company itself has is a concern. Yeah, it's uh, we we were talking about it. I know I don't know if we said it on the show or we mentioned it in the green room last week, but I was kind of lamenting about the fact that it's, it's not as fun as it used to be because people used to run to the internet and, you know, put out a bunch of information, you know, as an employee, you could find things on Reddit and Twitter. Um, and then we, we would always point to the fact that that was a lack of a, of a solid incident response plan. And over time we've kind of seen that behavior subside um, and we attribute, attributed that to the fact that companies are getting better with incident response, but not every company is going to be, you know, better at incident response. And, and here we have McMillan, who is obviously proving that, um, you know, and I, I talked to, I did a talk on uh, recently on incident response. And I would say, you know, out of uh, probably 60 CPAs that were in the room, I would say to hundred percent of them, you know, had no incident response and never even thought about it. And a lot of them didn't even know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, it really just depends on the maturity of your business and where you're at with the maturity of your cybersecurity um, to determine whether you're going to have, you know, those types of policies in place that say, Hey, don't run, don't run the social media. Um, Again, it, you know, one of the things I talked about with incident response in the in my talks is that you should always be testing these things, doing tabletops, and and going through lessons learned on how you can improve, because you don't want to use an actual event to figure out how you improve. So it could be what Ryan said, or it could be the other side where they don't have these policies in place, and they're going to take a look back after this event and go, well, you know, now we know we can be breached, so that's a thing. And now, you know, we need to have these policies in place so people don't go running the Twitter uh, like they did the last time we got breached. Mm-hmm. Anything else you guys want to add on this one? No dice. All right. Well, I mean, the, the only thing here that's, that is disconcerting, not only are they on Twitter, but they're, they have, they have employees on unverified Twitter accounts. So, you know, you could literally just have some rando right now say, oh, hey, you know, I'm I'm with McMillan. Reach out to me, you know, DM me and on, on an unverified account. So that's that's a little disconcerting also. You don't really know if they're really with with the company. So, no. So <clears throat> that's you know, that's a good example of company ransomware. What's their incident response look like? Um, but. You know, another concern also that we we're gonna, we have around, you know, what companies are doing around cybersecurity is the Microsoft Exchange servers. And, and, and this has been a vulnerability for some time. Um, and it's frustrating to me that these things still exist. I mean, we're going on almost a year and a half with this thing now that mm-hmm. it's been patched and that a patch has been available uh, to fix it. And we still have now, not only with this article highlights, not only do we have hackers exploiting the vulnerability, 
but they're also building things that make this vulnerability favor them even more. And let's mm -hmm. talk about what's in this article. This one's kind of disconcerting because it's been around this particular malware has been around in the wild undetected for over a year since actually March of last year. And what you're referring to, um, what they're able to do, they're able to um, able to put arbitrary files um, down onto the infected machines. They're able to run remote commands. They're also able to connect to endpoints um, within the uh, network, manipulate them, do stuff to them. Um, so it's a pretty pretty bad deal and a pretty big deal. And the, the other crazy thing, um, first sentence uh, talks about, or the first uh, part of the article talks about, it's been it's been found in government and military organizations. So probably from a nation state. Um, so that's all 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 a little bit disconcerting to me. Anybody else want to throw throw their two cents in on this? I mean, this is just this is just mind blowing to me that they're still able to, you know, malware exchange servers. <clears throat> yeah, it's really just no excuse. It's kind of like you know you have the government and they didn't mention the United States, but I'm obviously even with that chart, they didn't highlight anything in the United States, but we know there's it's happening everywhere that it's like you have the government telling the, the consumers and the businesses, hey, you know, get your cyber practices up, cyber tax threats are way up, but then here we go, something that could have been prevented. And um, these, these, you know, now we're gonna get the fallout from this. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's just gonna get to the point where, I mean, I don't know, I'm just gonna kind of bring it up because I it's something that I think about a lot, but, uh, it's a little also, and, and we can spend as much time as we want on, on this, but it's a little disconcerting to me that um, Microsoft, I don't, I don't know. Do you guys agree with the thought or the statement that Microsoft is kind of pushing the host, the on-premise Microsoft Exchange server kind of to the back? Like, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like they they care about it because it, it, it's a business move to push everybody to their cloud their cloud Microsoft Exchange. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's it's something that they're doing kind of across the board. Whether you're talking about Exchange Server, whether you're talking about you know the the licensing costs for for Office itself, um, it's definitely where uh, they're trying to push the future. Um, is it a good thing or a bad thing or you know? I, I struggle with it because on the one hand, you know, I, I, I agree that they're doing it primarily for financial reasons, but at the same time, in my experience, when, you know, somebody's you know, married to an exchange server and doesn't want to move to the cloud, um, you know, they, they also at the same time don't keep up with the, the internal infrastructure. Like they're, they're not, they're, they don't trust the cloud, but at the same time, they don't do proper hygiene on the stuff that they keep in house. And that's what causes a lot of these problems. So from a security perspective, I'd also rather have this stuff in the cloud because, you know, the Microsoft's going to keep keep that stuff a lot more up to date than the uh, uh, companies have been have proven that they're able to do. And, you know, and we also know that most likely the entire source code was leaked uh, back in um, the SolarWinds um, hack of 
what is that 12 or 18 months ago mm -hmm. now at this point um you know so we know the source code was leaked which i'm sure exchange online shares a lot of source code with uh an exchange server um i don't know how much is different but bottom but bottom line is like to me you're just a sitting duck even if mm -hmm. you're keeping it updated because what vulnerabilities have been found with that source code that you know that they're pouring over like probably that's where this one uh where they found the vulnerability for this not sure but um that would be my guess so for businesses they need to understand that you know going into um <clears throat> the microsoft cloud or the google cloud for your email uh, and not running it internally makes a lot of sense from a security standpoint because there is yet to be a vulnerability on the M365 exchange, right? <clears throat> they're not, you're not, you're, they're not getting hacked through backdoors and things like that. If your email gets hacked in M365, it's probably because something you're not doing from a high, cyber hygiene standpoint, like, you know, strong passwords or multi-factor authentication. Um, so that's the difference. And that's what businesses need to understand is like, when you think you're, you know, getting a better deal or you're or doing something um, that's saving you money because it's, you know, you, you have 100 users and, you know, you got to pay north of $20 per employee to have email. Um, and you never really had to do that before. And you, you kind of bought it, you know, a, a different way where you had maybe like a an expense every five, eight years or however you were doing it in your company. Um so that's what businesses need to understand that Microsoft has a has a team of people working around the clock 24/7 protecting that 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 software that infrastructure which your company doesn't have right so you're increasing your security posture by by moving to an M365 and moving away from these things because as Randy said these these are massive targets for these cyber criminals because they know you don't have a team sitting there watching that exchange server in the same way an enterprise company like Microsoft does. So moving right along, gentlemen, any, Randy, you got anything, or uh, Andre, you got anything you want to add to that before we move on? You're good. No, the only other thing is it could just be a trust issue where, you know, we're talking about government and military organizations from Europe, Middle East, Asia, and Africa. Microsoft is a, a primarily a U.S. company. Obviously they're a worldwide company. So I, I have a feeling there's a IT administrator there saying, nope, we're not putting anything on the cloud because we don't know if the U.S. is giving it to uh, Microsoft is giving it to the U.S. government. But at the same time, you know, these people who say this are also basically trusting their ISP for everything that's <laughs> going through there, too. So true. You know, that is true. Pick your poison. So not only are uh, exchange servers under attack, gentlemen, we also have firewalls and routers, you know, those things that sit on the edge of your <clears throat> internal stuff, your your uh, critical assets, uh, and prevent the whole entire world from getting access to that. That's what these devices do. Um, it's your connection point from the rest of the world and your internal network is, is really what we're talking about here. And we have a specific uh, router this time that's under attack, not to say that you know, I would venture to say that almost every uh, manufacturer that builds firewall and edge devices has 
has had vulnerabilities and, and those vulnerabilities have been exploited over the years. Um, so we're not picking on one particular manufacturer. This one happens to be the, the one of the day. Um, but actually this is, it's more than one. Uh, so they, they've, uh, identified at least 80 targets, uh, infecting routers made by Cisco, Netgear, Asus, and Draytech are the ones that they, they list in the article. Right. And that's all. And, and that's a good point because a lot of these firewalls use the same kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. They might use, they might use the same software that runs the firmware, you know, that might be like a Linux based kernel or something like that. Um, and a vulnerability is discovered there or a chip, uh, they're using a similar chip and, mm-hmm. and, and somebody figured out a vulnerability on, on some software on a specific chip that these devices use. So that's, more than likely, probably, I yeah. didn't read the article, but that's probably what's going on here because, you know, all these guys, you know, use very similar chips inside of their boards and stuff like that. So, And it doesn't uh, explicitly state in here, too, but but reading between the lines, it looks like this is mostly uh, consumer-grade uh, equipment. Um, and so the other thing here, too, is is a lot of this stuff, um, depending on how old these models that they've they've identified are, there may not even be firmware updates for this. I mean, a lot of, like you know, a lot of these consumer grade ones, they'll have maybe firmware updates for a couple of years, and then after that, they they consider them end of life. And and you know, but you as a consumer don't know about it. So this was an interesting article for me from from two aspects. So one with as many people who are still working from home these days that may be behind one of these devices, and as a yep. home user have no idea about firmware updates in the first place, much less whether or not firmware updates are even available anymore for their device. Uh, but then also, you know, how many times have we gone into a, a small to medium-sized business that hasn't had IT before or has had IT run by, you know, whoever knows the most about computers within that that building, um, and they've got consumer-grade devices managing their corporate network within their, their business. So I think this is, this is a huge potential issue for uh, companies that aren't doing uh, any type of, like, true IT or, or you know, and even cybersecurity beyond that. Well, not and just you know, I'm not trying to bash anybody here, but if you are a business that used the Geek Squad to set up your network, they probably sold you one of these devices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying Geek Squad's a bad company. Obviously, they're they're who they are, and they're as big as they are for a reason. Um, but you know, these 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 are the types of differences that guys like us look at and go. Okay, if you go to Best Buy and you're kind of a DIYer, or yeah. you know you've worked with the Geek Squad in the past and they set you up, which is a perfectly reasonable thing for a business to do because um, they don't know anybody else, so they're figuring, oh, well, I'll just go to Best Buy and the Geek Squad's right there, and then the next thing you know, they're offering you services to set up your office and, and things like that, and you get one of these thrown in there, you have no idea what they put in, you just know it works, right? Um, these are the type of businesses that need to be aware of this stuff, right? That, that they, they could potentially have one of these devices in their network and they can be attacked pretty easily if they do. So, and, and it's not always the situation of, you know, Hey, it's, it's that it provider, you know, be it the geek squad or anybody else that, that recommended the solution. I mean, that definitely happens. Uh, but we also see too, where the, the business itself, you know, we want to save money. Can't we just do this? And then, you know, are essentially allowed by, by their IT provider to do stuff like that. And I I think that's a problem within our industry where, you know, companies are doing a disservice to people by allowing this stuff to happen. I mean, it sounds, sounds harsh. And a lot of people, you know, will, will say, well, the customer is always right kind of thing, but 
we're the experts. We're the ones who know better. I mean, you know, I, I think about it, you know, boil it down to, you know, parent child kind of situation. You know, your, your parents not going to let you do whatever you want just because, you know, you want to do it. You know, they set boundaries and guidelines because they've lived and they know better. I mean, we, we kind of have to take the same approach sometimes with our clients. Yep. And that was what I alluded to earlier uh, at the top of the show. when I said, I, you know, we had a conversation this week with a business and they literally, <clears throat> they showed, they literally opened their QuickBooks for us and showed mm -hmm. us like their numbers and they didn't, they paid up to this year, they paid like $750 to their IT company. Uh -huh. Last year, they spent a little over 1500 bucks. How many users? Five. Okay. Yeah. And what, what are they ultimately buying for that? A, a false sense of security. Ransomware. You know? And, and the, the IT company. Ransomware, because that's why they were on the phone with us. Right. Um, they, they were attacked with ransomware last September. He lost everything. This is a CPA firm. They lost everything, tax returns, all, all kinds of good stuff. Um, and if you remember, last year's filing deadline was July 15th. So this mm -hmm. like literally happened like right after yep. you know tax, tax season. And they lost everything. And uh, the other thing that they admitted to me was that they, um, the, the IT company, you know, told them that they had backups and they didn't. They had yep. no backups. So I think we've all seen that scenario. And I'm kind of like, well, yeah, for fifteen hundred bucks a year, I like that makes sense to me. Like, you're not that. That's exactly what's going to happen. That's exactly how it's going to go down. I was like, um, and. You know, at the end of the day, he didn't see the value in it. He, I mean, I don't know his situation uh -huh. in his business, but my guess is is that, you know, he probably wasn't very profitable. So, you know, he decided that, you know, even spending 750 bucks a month to shore up his security and have better security and make sure he has backups on all his systems was too too much money, right? And so I'm guessing he didn't disclose when he had that incident uh, for the potential of uh, the, the customer information that was accessed. No, he didn't. No, I mean, I didn't ask, but he, you know, I could tell he didn't. You know, based on how he was. How he, he only you know, felt part of the pain of that incident. Right. Exactly. He only felt part of the pain because he didn't do it right, and if people knew, um, and I and I have no idea. Uh, I think he, I think he got out of it for like nine thousand dollars. Like yeah. he paid the ransom, but he didn't get all his data back. Until somebody uh, finds out that their data's out there, and then they find out that's where it came from, and. So, yeah. so and all the other thing, he, he gets in trouble for not disclosing. So the other thing he admitted on the call was that they they are still using the same server that mm -hmm. was, was involved in the attack. Yep. Um, so, so, so there was no proper incident response performed even even once it happened. It sounds no, like. not even not even not even close. We um, reset our passwords. We're good. Well, they moved to Gmail. They moved away from Outlook and moved to mm -hmm. Gmail, and that's kind of you know, where he said he was, was good. Um, but look, at, just look at it this way. This is how I looked at it. And this is where I, you know, where, where I think business owners, you know, once they reach out to a company like us and they have the information, they can't pretend and say they didn't know. They've yeah. now fallen into the category of gross negligence. And that's, that's a big deal when it comes to liability in a business. And, you know, if you look at, let's just say he's on the low end of the profitability scale and he's got five employees and he 
you know, for whatever reason, he's you know making somewhere between five and six hundred thousand dollars a year total gross revenue. You know, I would think that a company, a CPA firm that's close to four or five employees is closer to a million. But, you know, for the sake of this conversation, let's just say they're not closer to a million. They're maybe five hundred thousand. So seven. So seven fifty a month is roughly about ten grand a year. Right. So you're going to tell me that it's not worth it for you to pay 10 grand, even if you're making top line revenue of $500,000, 10 grand a year to protect your company, to protect your digital assets, protect your client information from cyber criminals. That's just not enough. Like that, like that's too much money. That blows my mind. Even like, half assing the, the, the solution to the incident response, he, he paid almost that anyway and he probably should have paid more if it was done properly yeah so i i you know that's that's the thing that i don't understand with 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 business owners today is like how how can you look at a number like ten thousand dollars and say that that's too much money to spend on cybersecurity? like that just blows my mind so i i tell people all the time you're, you're going to invest in cybersecurity one way or another you, you can either do it on the front end by by investing on a budget and protecting yourself or you can wait until you get hit and then have no control over any of it. But you're going to yeah. invest in it one way or another. Yeah. And he's going to get hit again. That The statistic says that. hundred percent. I mean, you know, essentially, you know, when we when we talked about the budget and he was just like, that's way more than I'm willing to spend. And the conversation ended shortly thereafter. But, you know, just be known, like, you know, when business owners have these conversations with cybersecurity professionals and they then have the information, um, they can't cry. You know, they, they didn't know, you know, mm -hmm. they, you know, these are these are documented things um, and, you know, documented conversations that we have with these with these people. Um, and, you know, so a good investigator comes in. If he if this guy ever got hit bad and insurance company came in and. You know, they're going to look through emails and they're going to see that, hey, you reached out to this cybersecurity company on this date and what, what happened. And they're going to find out, like, you know, you know, you knew that you had vulnerabilities and you just decided you weren't going to do anything about it. Well, I think we're quickly getting to a point, too, where you know it's not even going to take that much. I mean, with everything that's going on, you're going to you, you can't keep your head in the sand if you don't even look into protecting your business from a cybersecurity standpoint. That's that's gross negligence at this point. All right, boys. So let's move on to NFT land. Uh, NFTs are a hot thing. Who knows how much longer they'll be hot when all the money dries up. But um, right now, everybody who's got the stimmy checks, oops, did I say that? You know, decided to go spend money on basically digital um uh, digital what do i want to call those things what were those beanie babies digital beanie babies <laughs> and uh you know open seas a, a a trading platform for for nfts right for digital art and stuff like that i believe I, I don't know if you can do much more than that on there um i don't know too much about this so i'm going to kind of hand it off to one of you three but open discloses a data breach i guess information was stolen because they're warning users of phishing attacks which i assume they're going to try to send phishing emails making it look like they're open trying to get 
you know, maybe wallet addresses and, and other personal information. That's that I mean, fairly accurate. Yeah, that's basically the gist of it is all this information was leaked. Um, and the reason this particular attack caught caught my eye, um, this is very, very common. And, you know, we talk all the time on this show. We'll talk about this data breach and that data breach. And, you know, oh, it's just my social or it's my favorite list of hobbies that were leaked or whatever. The, the bad actors are going to use this information to reach out to the customers of OpenSea. And since they have a little bit more information that has none at all, um, they're going to make those emails more personal. Um, they'll make them seem more real. Um, and the whole goal here will be to, uh, to get money to some kind of extortion. I mean, it's all about the money. They're not just doing it for grins. Um, OpenSea is pretty big, though. I mean, they've had about $20 billion in transactions so far. Um, so with like 600,000 users. So bottom line is you got to be really careful with every single email that you get. Um, even if it looks like somebody, um, that you expect, we did a whole show on password managers. You know, if you accidentally click on this phishing link, if you're using a password manager, it's not going to throw the password up there because it's not going to recognize the link. You know, even, even if it's just one character off your password manager isn't going to fill in that password. So it's real important that you're using that um, and you're taking precautions, you know, like covering over the link and things like that um, to make sure you're not falling victim uh, to this. So, you know, Good. even if you get a few, the, you're going to try. Check the freaking sender, please. Check the sender. Like, I've seen probably more in the last three months phishing emails just looked at the from address they could see it wasn't the ceo of the company uh -huh. we literally had we, we for whatever reason one of our clients last week got flooded with phishing emails and it was signed as the ceo in the signature but it came from a gmail address uh -huh. and the message in the middle of it was hey can you um email me your personal cell phone number real quick i have something i need to talk to you about and people were like literally emailing this person their cell phone numbers until somebody smart enough at the company said, this isn't from Jay. And then, you know, it got brought yeah. to everybody's attention and we sent a mass email out to the company saying, you know, make sure you're looking at the from address and make sure that you're evaluating the email before you take any action on it. So. See, the, uh, see way yeah. too much. The NFT space too is an interesting one for this kind of thing because it, it, the 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 people who are involved in this, um, there's there's a pretty big difference as far as technology uh, technology background. So you've got a bunch of people who are into this that are you know very tech savvy right. and kind of fall for a lot of the stuff. But there's a a lot of other people too that that are you know kind of in this as a as a get rich quick kind of scheme. Hmm and do not know anything about technology and are very easily tricked by this sort of thing. So just the fact that they have that database of email addresses that they can use and target um, is potentially a huge issue for the, the those people that are less tech savvy that are gonna be more likely to fall for this kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's that's the biggest piece of it because a lot of people are involved in this who you know, just don't understand this stuff at any level. Um, mm -hmm. and. and really don't understand how all all the 
fundamentals of like cryptocurrency and NFTs operate, you know, public and private keys and things like that. And they're sharing their private keys and, you know, people don't know what that means when they share their private keys. Right. So the digital um, version of handing your wallet to somebody so they can go through it. But the biggest takeaway here, I think for businesses is, you know, just what you can learn from this uh, at a, at a bigger level for, for businesses is just make sure you have policies and procedures in place. Now you, you might have a business that deals with cryptocurrency and NFTs and stuff like that. So it's important that you develop policies and procedures around how you do certain things in your business. So for instance, is if you're ever going to move money in your business, like do an ACH transfer, there should be like a dedicated number that somebody calls where the person in charge verifies that that money should be moving. That's basically the recommendation we've been making for the last several months to companies is that, you know, you need to have basically a hotline where there's a second person who verifies via voice that that money should move, especially if it's over a certain amount. Um, Smart way to do it. That way, you get an email from the CEO that says, you know, wire this money to this account for this thing. You know, they have a number to call so that, you know, CEO or maybe somebody in, in charge of finance can talk to the CEO, you know, then verifies that that actually should happen. And that's just a simple policy and procedure that you have in place, uh, you know, and, that, and that'll save your ass from wiring money to a cyber criminal somebody who's going to get it. And ideally even taking it a step further and, and going for eyeball to eyeball confirmation, you know, whether that's in person, if, if you're in an office environment or, you know, using some sort of video conferencing tool to have that, that conversation as well. So you can see who you're talking to and confirm. Because of. Because deepfakes. of. Yep. fakes, right? Because deepfakes, deepfakes are a thing. They're becoming a bigger thing. Um, um. We, 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 uh, we have a major um, FBI bulletin out right now that basically says there are scammers using voice and video deep fakes, get IT jobs at companies that don't do like IT, right? So a, a law firm or an accounting firm that's hiring an IT person and they're literally hiring cyber criminals who are faking, you know, who they are. Um, and basically taking over somebody's identity and making it look like they're this, you know, IT person with 20 years experience, uh, blah, blah, blah. And you can, you can do Google searches and you can find this legitimate person. Uh, and, and you think you're hiring that person and you're not. And that just came out this week from the FBI. And I tell you, when the FBI puts stuff out, it means they're seeing it at a mass scale. You know, the FBI doesn't put things out because they saw it once or twice. Um, they put things out because they see things at a mass scale. And, and, these, and these are the things, these are the precursors to all of that. This is what they need to do so they can make those deep fakes successful. So you have to be on alert because all of these companies are getting attacked and data is being stolen and everybody's kind of chalking it up to like, well, nothing really happens. Well, no, it, it, you know, as, as people figure out how to, use this data to monetize it and make money off of it. These are the things we're going to see. So, all right, guys, moving right along. Walmart, 
uh, victim of a ransomware attack, says the cyber criminal group. The company says, no, we don't think so. What's going on? It's a good question. <laughs> the fact that they're, they're outright denying it is, is interesting as opposed to just staying silent. But um, That's a significant amount of systems. I mean, I guess yeah. right? Maybe not because you're Walmart. And you, I mean, I don't even know how many employees Walmart has at this point. But, you know, are they saying they have access to, was it 40 to 50,000 yeah. systems? 40 to 50,000 is what yeah. they're That they encrypted between 40 and 50,000. Yeah. So that's for for not a peak to come out of an employee, you know, via you know some other website, that kind of puts this uh, Yang Lu Wang group a little. You know, I don't know nice if work. we want to believe. Thank you. If we want to believe them too much, because you know, fifty thousand people can't come to work in the morning because uh, they they have ransomware. I think we would have heard way more about it. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I got to figure with that amount of computers, they hit the corporate offices in Bentonville. And it has to be something like that. Yeah, right? I mean, so, so I looked, uh, Walmart has 2.3 million employees, but most of those aren't going to be behind a computer. They're going to be right. working, you know, sure. floor unloading trucks, right. things like that. Um, so 40 to 50,000 seems pretty darn significant. But Walmart is denying it. So, because you know that if they hit stores or POS systems, yeah, people would notice that and it would be in the news right now, right? So, yeah, this is an interesting one to keep an eye on. I mean, is it or isn't it hard to say at this point? But that that does seem like a lot of computers to not hear something, yeah. But you you know, here's we always kind of bash on the people that do incident response planning poorly. Mm-hmm. They do have this many computers under ransomware, and we, you know, there's just drips and drabs of information coming out, and it's not confirmed, and it's really only coming from the cyber criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a good incident response plan, quite frankly. So it's an interesting question, though, to publicly refute the allegations as opposed to staying quiet if, if they really weren't or, or if they really were hit to publicly refute it. I'm not sure what yep. the, the legality on something like that would be. Um, I mean, I saw what they released on the dark website. It wasn't much. Um, they had some internal network information, um, which you can get that without deploying ransomware. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so it doesn't mean they deployed ransomware. It means they could have just got into the network or breached some some you know device uh, that they were using. Um, you know, does it say they actually encrypt or does it say they have access to them and could encrypt them? I guess that's that's what I it wasn't it said, it said encrypted. Uh, the group claimed they had broken into Walmart and encrypted between 40 and 50,000 different devices. Hmm. Yeah, and it apparently has to do with Walmart's um, Active Directory. So they called it the Windows domain. I assume that that's what they're referring to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they they had domain. They what they put on their dark website was basically domain information, like internal domain information to prove that they were in there and they had access to it. Well, Not, it, is July, it, it is July Fourth weekend, so maybe we'll find out on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that towards the end. 
All right. So FBI warns uh, we're still using RDP to break into networks. Like what? You know, I, you know, I, I made the comment I made earlier about exchange, but come on, RDP still? Like, yep. You got to hide that. I mean, if you, if you need to use it, you're way better off using something like log me in than RDP. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. Like just straight up. Don't, you know, if you think you're getting away with free remote access because you have RDP turned on, well, you know what? Free is going to turn into a cyber attack. Um, you got to get these things behind a VPN with two-factor authentication on the VPN. That's the other biggest thing that I see companies going wrong on is they, they're like, oh, we have our RDP behind the VPN, but the VPN is like easy to get into. Right. It's a, it's a basic Windows PPTP. And you can get into it with just a password. And, you know, PPTP is not the most secure method of accessing VPN anymore. Um, I think that was the pipeline attack had, had something like that. All they needed yeah. was the password. They had the password. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's like, you know, that these are the things that people don't understand that we hope to highlight on this show. It's like... Even if you put this behind a VPN, what kind of VPN is it? Are you two-factored, right? Because if I can remote into computers once I have access to that, you want to make that access mechanism or that access point very hard for me to get into. Um, not easy. And I, and we see just so many companies just make it so easy by just, you know, you, know, you can do a Shodan search and you can find, you know, how many RDP uh, connections are open on the internet right now? Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be in the yeah. millions because it usually is. <clears throat> right. And then, you know, it's the same thing with the VPN, you know, just because the VPN doesn't show up in a Shodan search. If I figure out you're using a VPN as a cyber criminal and all I need is a password, I'm going to be banging away at your door all day long, trying to get into that VPN. Um, maybe, you know, scouring the dark web to try to buy credentials from employees that uh, have compromised uh, credentials and then try to get into that VPN. Cause once I'm in that VPN, then I can hit the RDP. And I think this is one too, where, where I see a lot um, people are almost proud. Like you go in and you say, Oh, we, we set up our own remote tool. So we're, you know, we're able to access these machines and you dig in and it's this, and it's a matter of, you don't know what you don't know. So yeah, you, you, you set that up and, you're probably trusting it because it's built into your operating system. So, you know, Microsoft put it there for a reason. Why not use it? But not knowing how to secure something like that makes it a huge, a huge danger. Yeah. And changing the port that it runs on is not securing it. Right. Right. Because <laughs> that's the number one thing I've run into with companies. It's like, oh, we, you know, I, you see like they're using it and you see like the IT guy changed the port. And it's like, right. Well, it, it makes it more secure because then the hackers won't know mm-hmm. what port. I'm like, oh, the hackers can find out in like a hundredth of a millisecond what mm-hmm. port the IDP's running on. You know, it doesn't take them long. If you gave them one extra step, that's not gonna, not really gonna impact things. From yeah, yeah, that's that some piece of software is gonna scan and yeah. say, hey, RDP is running on this port. Uh, yeah, it's not three three eight nine, of course, but it's probably three three nine zero. Because they just moved it up right. by one number, or I've, I've seen companies who have done this and they've they've just changed the port so they had RDP access externally to every computer in the environment. Mm-hmm. I've seen that too. Yeah, you're killing me. 
All right, so coming into the home stretch here, AMD investigating a potential data breach allegedly caused by crappy passwords. What do we know about this, Randy? Um, well, it's a pretty um, commonplace attack. Passwords are weak. Um, and when passwords are weak, the, the bad actors can get in. This is a big deal uh, because um, it's at AMD, which is obviously a really large uh, company. And supposedly they've taken um, almost half of a terabyte of, uh, of data. Um, so um, potentially this could be a really, uh, really bad deal. You know, weak passwords. You know, we say on here sometimes unpatch uh, that patching is like the, the most unsexy of all the things to uh -huh. do for cybersecurity. <laughs> And probably uh, passwords, internal passwords especially, are going to be second on that list of unsexy things to worry about. Um, but, you know, here's another uh, good reason why we need to worry about it. Yeah, the other reason I think we need to worry about it is what we kind of alluded to earlier with the, with the firewalls and routers using the same chips, right? These are chips, right? And these are in a lot of computers, around the world you know it's basically intel and amd that's basically your two choices for chips um in modern computers today and uh to be this close to the kernel you, you know if you know if you can figure out a way to exploit this chip there's going to be a lot of people in a lot of trouble and all unless this this to me guys is really scary because it could circumvent a lot of the tools that companies like ours use to prevent this kind of stuff. Well, plus right? hardware vulnerabilities are really a big deal because you only have so many options in, in, as to whether or not you can patch them. I mean, if it's something in the firmware, then you've got an option. But if it's if it's a vulnerability that exists natively in the hardware itself, you know, you're stuck with that hardware unless you replace the entire piece of equipment. Yeah, I mean, just to give kind of everybody some perspective on this stuff, like we've we've done a really good job at, at like understanding that windows as an operating system is a target and is chock full of vulnerabilities. Um, that's why they need to have a patching regimen of basically once a month and sometimes, you know, patches in between. Um, and we've learned how to protect the windows operating system. Um, and, but cyber defenders have not been focused on, you know, really defending things close to the kernel level, like CPUs and memory and chips, because these are things that are not typically exploited. But when this kind of data is stolen, and depending on what was stolen, that's the scarier thing, because, you know, certain, you know, countries, certain military operations get a hold of this and figure out ways to exploit it, there's a very good chance that most people aren't even going to know it's there. They just took the plans to the Death Star. Exactly. And you, you guys remember when uh, NVIDIA got hacked and um, these groups were trying to force them to change their business model on the overclocking? So yeah. they didn't even have things like that where they're going to say, AMD, we want you to, we know you can do this, so we want you to do this. And now, if not, we're going to release, you know, all of this data. So they're investigating it just like Walmart. I think Walmart's denying it, but they're probably running around figuring out, you know, what the hell's going on, or they do know if they, especially if they got encrypted. 
so we're moving into the infamous July 4th weekend and uh, infamous from a cybersecurity standpoint because um, last year we had uh, Kaseya mm-hmm. uh, recently acquired a company named Datto, by the way. Um, they had a major incident where their software was the centerpiece to one of the largest ransomware um, attacks ever to take place because these are tools that IT companies use to manage their clients. These are tools that once they're on systems essentially have God mode access. And it was the, you know, the biggest breach, you know, I would say to date next to solar winds, um, but was definitely, you know, took up a lot of the news cycle, especially like, I think it was like, bang, 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 uh, Colonial, JBS, and then Kaseya, kind of mm-hmm. like within three months of one another. Um, and unfortunately, Kaseya, you know, didn't have the luxury of Walmart because this now affected MSPs and, you know, other companies. And it was inevitable that a situation like that, it was going to leak out, you know, very quickly that this, this problem occurred. Um, and quite frankly, we had to spread the word because the initial advice um, taking you back down memory lane here was to shut down your VSA server, right? Um, and a lot of companies on July 3rd in the afternoon were scrambling to get their uh, Kaseya server shut down until you know they were they got further instruction from the company. Um, so even if you weren't one of the victims and you didn't get, you know, ransomware through that, you still had a, you know, kind of like a little bit of a heart attack moment in your company because you had to go and do this. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately meant that you weren't able to service your customers uh, in the way that you are contracted to. So it was a big deal in a lot of different ways. So um, I don't know if you guys want to play the prediction game today um, in the last couple minutes here. Um, obviously, you know, my perspective is from Memorial Day, um, there were companies that were hit over Memorial Day, but we were not finding them out about them until now. We started to find out about them like, you know, a few weeks ago, um, cause it was interesting to me that we didn't hear anything, but it's, it lends itself to that incident response getting better and people understanding that it's not a good idea to come out right away. Um, but if you go back in the news, you, you can read the stories where there's enough companies and, and municipal governments and colleges that were hit right around the Memorial Day weekend. Um, but it's not just holiday weekends anymore. It's pretty much mm-hmm. every weekend. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have a prediction per se, but I, I did want to follow up a little bit on the Kaseya thing. Um, so one of the biggest things that I think um, to take out of that whole situation last year um, was using it as a case study. So all of these these uh, IT companies that were using that product and had their customers exposed to this uh, issue where they, they were basically using it to push out uh, ransomware payloads to their clients. Um, there was a big difference when you when you looked at the aftermath of it between uh, the the companies that were providing support services only, like your typical IT type services, and ones that were providing, you know, even minimal layered security, like like true security with layers, and the ones that had layered security, 
most of those did not, um, you know, they didn't have the fallout of it. So they may have received the payload, but those other layers kicked in and, and stopped mm -hmm. it from running. Yep. And that to me was like the biggest thing that, that people need to take away from this is, you know, we are long past the days where, you know, right. you can run with virus protection and a firewall and be good. Um, right. and, and if you were using an IT company that is not doing any type of layered security, you're almost putting yourself at more risk than less risk. Right. And it costs more money. And that was my point with what I, when I talked about the CPA firm earlier, it's like, you know, we're not going to just put one thing in and then say you're protected from ransomware. This is going to be a layered approach with threat hunting. Um, there's people going to be looking after your systems basically 24 um, seven. And, you know, that costs money. Right. And cybersecurity talent is not cheap. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm looking at these numbers and I'm going, this is like, this is, this is, you know, very affordable for this company. But here's, you know, here's kind of what I'm going to say. I'm not going to predict anything because there's really nothing to predict, right? Last because, time you said that, you ended up making a bold prediction. <laughs> well, I still think, I still think at some point there's going to be a shift from what we're seeing today to mm -hmm. cloud. Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like cloud is going to be an issue for people in, in, in the future. When that, like, when that's going to actually happen, I don't know. because, And this is why I want to bring this up. Um, something doesn't add up because this report here, ransomware volume doubled 2021 total. So all of 2021, which was, there was a lot, Kaseya, JBS, Colonial Pipeline. By the end of Q1 2022, we had more ransomware attacks than we did in the entire year of 2021. Hmm. So how are we not hearing about this stuff? Who's being attacked? Right? It, it, it's like this, this, this is where I, this is where things just don't add up to me. And I'm sure if I, spent time and did research, I can figure it out. Um, but again, it, it lends itself to, you know, like the CPA firm who we know based on my conversations with them didn't report what happened to them. That still counts because the company that did this actually looks at traffic on the internet to determine who's getting hit with ransomware. And this, hmm. this is something that you can do. And they're basically analyzing Cryptocurrency wallet movement and and traffic on the internet, and they're determining, you know, this is a ransomware attack, and that's how we're able to determine this stuff without relying on disclosure data, and that's what this company is saying based on what they analyze that's going on on the internet, that ransomware volume doubled. All of 2021 in one quarter in 2022. Mm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this has to do with with we're seeing smaller companies getting hit. So we're not seeing as many of the big ones that make the national news uh, like we did last year. But a lot of the smaller, low-hanging fruit type companies are just getting blasted and not reporting. 
Mm -hmm. um, right. It's it's something that 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 we see. You know, you're talking about the client that you have. We're you know we're reasonably positive. They didn't they didn't report. So we know these things are happening. But the smaller companies either don't know that they they have requirements to report, or just you know sweeping them under the rug so they don't have to deal with the uh, reputation fallout. But I think that's a lot of what's happening. Is is you know that low hanging fruit of small business is is really really ripe right now. Yeah, I think there's there's that, and there's also probably tired news news cycle where it's not going to get reported as much, you know, kind of like, kind of like shootings in Chicago, you know, they have so many happen. It's such a tragedy, but they don't get reported because so many happen, you know, most of them don't make, don't make the news. And so maybe there's a little bit of underreporting from, or a lot of underreporting from, from companies, especially small companies. And then also, you know, underreporting from reporters, you know, just not seeing it as, as newsworthy. It's all about the clicks ultimately and people want to click on it so yeah i mean you know even though we were in the midst of covid last year um you, you yeah you we really we really have a lot more going on today in terms of news cycles right we have covid we have ukraine we have an economy that's crashing you know which you know these ransomware events are not going to you're right these ransomware events are not going to make the news so so to speak but at the same time, you know, I do a lot of research on this stuff. It's a heck of a lot. It was a heck of a lot easier for me to find ransomware attacks a year ago than it is today. Mm -hmm. um, and the ones that only get reported today are are when it's on a leaked site somewhere on the dark web. The, the company's website's been defaced and it's very evident that somebody's hacked them or they're just so publicly facing that. And, and the systems are down that they just can't hide it. And then, you know, you know, I think about hospitals, um, you know, you walk into a hospital, you know, and they're, they're like, we can't admit you because we're dealing with a ransomware attack. That's going to get out. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's really, for me, I, I, I hate using the word, like, let's make the prediction for a big ransomware attack, because I think every week we have big ransomware attacks. We just don't know about them. We don't yep. hear about them. Um, and I think that's going to be the way forward. I don't think we're going to hear about these things that much uh, on mainstream media, in the news, even on Twitter and on social media. It's just not getting out there um, until weeks and months later. Um, so, uh, and if we do see something, it, it's probably going to dwarf those big ones that we've seen before. You know, they're 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 yeah. all working on those big paydays in the background, and, and you know, they're very secretive about this because you can't give up those vulnerabilities until you've used them. And you know that some of these groups are hanging on to some pretty big vulnerabilities. So it, it, it's going to happen and it's going to be huge, but it's going to be a lot less frequent than what we were seeing uh, national news-wise last year. Yep. All right, fellas. All right. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Good show. We're right under an hour and uh, I still feel pretty good. So I think I'm going to go work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then... Uh, Appreciate it, and we'll see everybody on the next episode. Take care. And, see you later, uh, everybody. Take care. Next week. See you all later.